before we pray this morning, I was going to tell you a story, and it's, it's going to sound like a story about me, but it's not really a story about me. It's actually a story that involves you, but uh, this week we had our mobile food market. You know, every second Wednesday of the month, we get pallets of food delivered by um, STL Food Bank, and then we... Uh, People line up their cars down Wood Street and come in, and we serve hundreds of families groceries in about an hour. And so uh, this week I, I came, and I was helping kind of move the cars along, and I was down about three cars just kind of waving people through, and every once in a while a car would have to stop in front of me. And so this car pulled up, and there was this guy with this big smile on his face. And I said, hey, how are you doing? And he said, I, I'd like to shake your hand. And I said, okay. He goes, even though I'd like to get out of the car and hug you. And I thought... This must be like a Valentine's Day thing or something. Uh, I don't know what this is, but uh, I shook his hand and he said, my name's John. And I started, I said, my name's Michael. And he said, oh, I know who you are. And he said, you saved my life. And I didn't know what to say. It's the first time anybody has ever said anything like that to me. Uh, and he said, I was about to do something to myself. And then I found your message, your series on anxiety that you did. And you shared your story of dealing with anxiety and dark thoughts. And he said, and I watched your entire series and I'm here. And, and I didn't know what to say. I said, okay, move your car up. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I was thinking about that. No, that's such a cool thing. And I, I, I don't even know how that works. How, like how somebody's in the middle of having those kinds of thoughts and then somehow our series that addressed thoughts like that pops up on his phone or whatever it is but I was thinking about that and again that's that's not about me and in, in, in my ranting and, and crying that I do up here that's I was thinking about you know you know what made that possible it's our volunteers in the back it's people like Jason and Derek and the media team doing our live stream and stuff you know before the pandemic we didn't have anything like that and you know, it, whenever all that happened and we had to have an online ministry and stuff and all that started, we, Kate and I, we, we took money out of our savings to buy a camera so we could have something. But, but you who have partnered with us and, and, and given to our mission and support of our mission, like you made all that possible. And it's, you know, what we do here on Sunday mornings and, and in our community, that's one thing. But like, those are the times that remind me, like we, we have no idea how God you know, this is God's word. This is, this is God's message. I'm just, I'm just the vessel. But it's so amazing how God can, can take his message of hope and, and somehow, some way, in somebody's time of need, when they really, really need it, 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 it gets to them. It shows up on their phone or their tablet or their whatever. And it, it gets them through another day. And it gets them to the point where a couple months later, they're in our mobile food market and they're getting food from us. And it's just another example of how there's so many people in our communities from, from Warrington to Wentzville to O'Fallon who they, they call this their church home and they may, they may never even walk through the doors, but they consider this their church home because they found some hope. They have found something that they're looking for to help them get through another day. And, and that may even be where you are. You, you may even be there and you may not even know it. But today, as we, as we finish this series today called Given the Situation and we talk about this, I pray that today God would give you what you need to keep going, to, to get through just not another day, but to get through this, this valley that you may be in, the situation that you may be in. Or maybe, you know what, maybe today is just about something you're going to go through in the future. And this is what you're going to need so that when stuff hits the fan and you got to deal with it, you're, you're prepared. You feel like, you know what? No, I've, I've heard about these situations and, I, and I, know, I know what I need to do. Whatever the situation may be, I hope God speaks to you today. So will you pray with me this morning? Father God, I, I thank you this morning for what you're doing among us and around us. God, I, I thank you so much for people like John who just remind me that you move and work in ways that I, I cannot even understand. And God, I just pray that your message today, it would inspire us to follow you. It would inspire us to, to put our faith in you. That God, we would walk out of here with a little bit of a better understanding of who you are. That through the son, we would know what the father is like. 
and that we would have a clearer picture. And today, today may break down some walls. Today may be completely counter to what we were taught growing up or what we have heard before. But God, I pray that your truth would just be heard today and that we would be able to recognize you. And God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. And we're excited you guys are here. Thanks to the band for leading us through worship today. Didn't they do a great job? It's always awesome. Um, I have have a question I want to start with today. Um, Have you ever had something that sits with you all day, every day? You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about maybe it's like a marriage thing, like something's going on, or you had a fight. Maybe you had a fight that was a little bit more than a normal fight, and maybe somebody used the D word, you know, or made a threat or said, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to do that. Maybe something along those lines. and Or maybe you're even worried something's going on, you know, and it's just, man, it's just sitting with you. It's just like everywhere you go, it's just, it's like an elephant in the room. Or maybe, maybe you've gone through a divorce or even a breakup or you're single and it's just sitting with you because you don't know what to do. There's a part of you that says, you know, I just need to work on myself and I just need to do some self-evaluation. But then there's another part of you that's like, now oh, maybe, you know, that chapter's closed and I need to start another one. And maybe, you know, or so-and-so, maybe I need to get involved. And my friends are telling me, let's go out, let's do this. And I just don't know what to do, and I'm just, I feel kind of stuck, and I have a, you know, I'm wondering what's going to happen next. I see everybody else getting engaged and moving on with their life and stuff, and I don't, it it just can kind of sit with you. Or even like teenagers, young people, right? When you start to hear about, you know, everybody's figuring out where they're going to go to college, what they're going to do with their life, people's careers taking off, you know, people getting cool jobs with all of the different perks and things that they want, and you're just, you're still, don't know what you want to do. You still don't know what you want to, you know, major in, or if you want to go to school, or if you want to go to trade school, or if you want to go to school at all. And, you know, it just, you don't want to make the wrong decision. And so it just, it just kind of sits with you all day, every day. Or maybe something's going on with your kids. Maybe to you're in the stage of life where you got a kid or several kids and there's so much going on with them and there's, there's different things or maybe even they've stepped into it. And I'm talking about they've stepped into it. Like before you could be like, you're a ding dong. Don't ever do that again. But now like they've stepped into it, like it's going to impact their life, but it's also going to impact your life. And you don't know what to do because there's this, there's this in between of like, I want to be there for my kid and I don't want to see my kid in pain. I don't want to see my kid hurt, but also they need to learn a lesson and there's some consequences here. And I I don't know how much I should bail them out or how much I should let them go. And it just kind of sits with you. And when, when you walk into these kinds of scenarios in life, it just, it doesn't matter what you do. It just, it sits with you all day. And you know what I'm talking about? It's those times where you go to work, but you are not at work. You're not thinking about work. As a matter of fact, you're thinking about it. You're staring off into the void and you're looking at your computer or whatever, but you were really, you're not there. And then all of a sudden you look up and 20 minutes have gone by and you're like, what in the, where, where did I go? And it's because you, you, you're thinking about it and you're thinking about what's going to happen. And you're thinking about if you have what it takes to take care of this or to get through this. And, and, and here's what you wouldn't tell anyone, but it's the truth. You know what's happening in your heart in the middle of that? You're fearful. And again, you would never say that because in our culture, if somebody asks you, are you afraid? You'd say, no, I ain't afraid, right? Of course not. I'm not afraid. You're going to be a new parent. Are you going to have your second kid? Are you going to have your third kid? Are you afraid? No, I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm, I could do this. But you're shaking in your boots. You should be if you're not, by the way. Uh, you know, or, or you're wondering, you're wondering if you're ever going to find that job or that satisfaction that you're you're looking for. You're wondering if you're, your marriage is ever going to be whole. If you're ever going to get through this season, if you guys are going to be okay, if you're going to make it and you're, you're, you're afraid, you're a bit fearful. And here's the thing, that's, that's what's happening in your heart. That's your emotion. But you know what's happening in your head? In your head, you're starting to doubt. You're starting to doubt whether you have what it takes to make it through this. You're starting to doubt that things are going to be okay. You're starting to doubt that this is going to get better. You're starting to doubt that you're going to make it. And in the middle of all of those doubts, do you know what else you doubt? You doubt God. You doubt that God exists. You doubt that God is, as they've said, he is a good, good father. He is a good God. And you're starting to even doubt that yourself. And here's the thing. It's important to address that. Because when fear in your heart and doubt in your head is left unchecked, do you know what happens? 
you develop anxiety. You get anxiety. And anxiety left unchecked, that's what leads to depression. That's what leads to sadness. That's what leads to no hope. And for some of you, you're like, well, you don't know. No, I know. I know because I've been there myself. I've been, I've been there. I've dealt with that. I've left fear and doubt unchecked. And I've dealt with anxiety. And I've left that unchecked before. Because in the middle of these times, what happens in our head and in our heart, there's a lot going on. But, but the other thing is, is that when it comes to God, where, where God fits in it, and this is, this is very church language. I apologize for this, but this is, just, this is what people say. And you've probably heard this before. Or maybe you have said this yourself. When, you, when you're in the middle of doubts and you're looking around at everybody else and how everybody else is doing, you, you say to yourself, well, geez, God is blessing them. Like, man, look at all these people. Look at all these people getting engaged, all these people getting married, all these people having babies. Some of them, they're like, it was an accident. We had no clue. Well, we've been trying, okay? And like, God is not blessing us. All these people getting jobs and benefits and all these things and and prospering so much and just doing great and all this stuff. And you're like, man, God, like, hello. (laughs) You know, did you forget somebody? Did I get skipped in line or something like that? And, and, And you would never say this, right? But maybe you're in the middle of some heavy stuff, like some crisis type, type stuff, like some, some, sometimes it feels like life or death type stuff. And you're throwing up prayers to God, like, hey, God, could you, I see you blessing everybody else. And I hear all the, you know, the pretty stories with the bow at the end and the happy endings and stuff. And I was just wondering if you could look down on our family or look down on our marriage or look down on me and maybe throw some blessings down to me. And, and you would never say this because you're a good person. But I'll say it for you, okay? Um, but you would, you would say this. What, why is God blessing their silly prayers? You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about when you're around a bunch of Christians or you're in a small group, you know, and at the end they always ask, you know, does anybody have any prayer requests? And somebody's like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I lost my really expensive car key to my really expensive car. And uh, I don't know if you know or not, those things are a real hassle um, to get replaced. It's really expensive because it's an expensive key for my expensive car. And so I just, I'm just looking to the Father to help me find my expensive key for my really expensive car. Because I would hate to use all the money I have that I'm saving up for my eighth journey to Disneyland to have to buy uh, this expensive key for this expensive car. And you're sitting there and you're going, are you kidding me? Right? You're sitting there and you're going, really, really, really? Hey, God, I, I, I know um, he's praying about his um, expensive key for his expensive car. Meanwhile, I have a crisis going on down here, okay? I have something that's life or death, like something that's not going to just impact my life or it's going to actually impact other people's lives as well. So, I mean, whenever you help him find his prodigal car key, you just tell him where he can stick it, okay? But... If you could, after you do that, you could come and you could help me. Because we all are wondering, well, what about me? Why are you saying yes to everybody else and all I'm getting is a no? And here's what's really bad, to add insult to injury. When you go to a Christian or you go to maybe a parent who's religious or you go to a religious person or whatever the circumstance may be, it feels like sometimes all they offer you are some hallmark God phrases, right? You know the ones written all over Hobby Lobby, you know? And you go to them, you go to them with your doubts, you go to them with your fears, you go to them with your anxiety, because you don't know if it's going to work out. And you, 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 let, you, you talk to them about it, and they throw out these kind of hallmarks. Like, you know, things like, everything happens for a reason. And you're going, I, I don't see any good reason behind this. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I'd love to know the reason behind this, because this is just pretty awful. I don't think there's really a purpose behind this, but I know it sucks. <laughs> like that's, that's what, that's what I know, but really, okay. Everything happens for a reason. All right. So God is behind this awful thing. Well, no, God's not behind it, but I'm just saying there's a reason behind it. Oh, you don't know what that reason is. No. Okay, cool. Or, or maybe they'll say something like this, you know, Hey, God, God won't give you more than you can handle, which I, I've preached on this. This isn't even in the Bible, okay? But people swear it is. But it's not. It's at Hobby Lobby, but it's not in the Bible. But people will say, man, God will never give you more than you can handle. And you say, oh, bet? Because uh, I'm telling you, I'm about to do something that I think your response would be like, you know, I think he had more than he could handle. Um, or, or, or how about this? This is a good one. 
God must be trying to teach you something. Oh, really? Well, what would the, today's lesson be? Because I can tell you, I haven't learned much except for this sucks. So what would the lesson be? Please, I'm all ears. I have my notebook out. Please tell me what the lesson would be. And when you're talking to a religious person about that, they go, well, you'll just have to wait and see. And you're like, okay, okay, cool. We'll get right on that. Now, this is a new one, okay? I, I was thinking about this. I was writing the sermon this week. And I, I, if, if you're here long enough, you'll learn. I, always, I hate everything happens for a reason. I think it's bad. It should be removed from everyone's vocabulary. It, it, it's terrible theology. It's not how God works. I hate everything happens for a reason. We use it to try to make ourselves feel better. But this next one, this next one, I think is my second most hated. Okay? So just to add the things Michael hates, you know, I'm, I'm deconstructing and reconstructing things. Work with me, okay? Uh, but you might disagree with me, and I'll tell you why you disagree with me. It's okay if you disagree with me, but I'll explain why you do. But, but this one's a real doozy, okay? Whenever God tells you no, it's because he's saying yes to something else, right? We've heard that before, right? Oh, God, God's just telling you no because there's a yes on the way. Now, let me tell you something. If you like that or you've said that or you believe that, do you know why? Because you've gotten a yes, right? It's easy for us to agree with that and believe that when we've gotten a yes. Because we're like, oh my goodness, all the girls that I dated, now I understand, you know. All the no's were just to get me to you, my love of my life, you know. And again, I don't know where this surfer uh, Keanu Reeves impression came from. It came out first service and I decided to stick with it because it got a couple laughs. But anyway, you know, but like if you agree with that, it's because you've gotten some yeses. But, but, but here's the thing. What if, what if all you get is a no and 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 a no? Because some of us have been there and some of us have been through that. We're all that we've gotten is a no. So what do you tell that person? And here's the thing. Anytime, and, I, and I've, again, I've been there. I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. And like I said, I've dealt with some real stuff. I've dealt with anxiety and stuff. And I, I love my mother to death. She's a great person. She's a, she's a God-loving, Jesus-following person. But I, I've had times where I've called my mother and told her what I'm dealing with. And she's told me some of these hallmark, just got to have faith phrases. And I've told her, like, Mom, that, that's not what I'm looking for, okay? I'm being, but, but, but we both know this may not work out. This may not be okay. Uh, I told him first service, there was a season of our life where our son, we thought he had Paris disease and we didn't know if he was going to be a normal kid and be able to do normal stuff or if he was going to be in a wheelchair because he just developed this, this limp in his hip all of a sudden. And when we were going through that and I didn't know if my son was going to be in a wheelchair or not, I called my mom and I had doubts and I had fear and I had anxiety and my mom would give me these hallmark phrases. And I'm like, mom, that's, that's, that's not what I'm looking for in the middle of this. And sometimes you've been there. You, you've gone to a, a Christian or a religious person who's had these Old Testament promised beliefs of everything's going to be all right. And you just need to have enough faith. And everything happens for a reason. And don't worry, there's a yes on the way. But you're like, I, that doesn't help me. And sometimes that goes on to the point where what it feels like, and this is, this is just me talking, okay? What it feels like to me when I get those hallmark God phrases is I feel like what somebody's telling me is, hey, don't disturb my God-in-a-box faith with your actual circumstances. Like, hey, stop it. You're bringing me down. I believe everything happens for a reason. I believe God won't give you more than you can handle. I believe that if there's a no, it just means there's yes on the way. And you're starting to make me doubt. So stop bringing your doubt into here, right? Stop bringing your doubt into our small group. Stop bringing your doubt into our family. Stop bringing your actual circumstances because your negative energy, your negative vibes starting to really bring us down. So knock it off. As a matter of fact, I know plenty of people who have kind of been run out of the church. Because churches hate that stuff. Pastors hate that stuff. Us pastors, we love to end our sermons with everything's going to be all right. There'll be a pretty little bow at the end and everybody will be happy. You just got to have faith. You just got to hold on. Don't worry. Hope is on the way. But then you run into circumstances where there's death and there's sadness and there's pain and there's stuff hitting the fan. And all of a sudden you're like, hmm, but what about me? And pastors and churches don't always have answers for those people. And so they kind of just run them off. And maybe that's why you're here for a church 
for people who don't like church. Welcome. (laughs) Because I understand the reality. Because I grew up around it. And I've lived it. And the reality is, is that sometimes we run into situations and we run into circumstances where it just feels like we're getting a no and we wonder where God is. And if that's you, and if it's caused you to doubt the existence of God, if it's caused you to doubt that God is for you and loves you and God is good, well, then you came to the right place at the right time. Because we are finishing up a series today called Given the Situation. And the sub, sub, subline, subtitle of this is How to Hold On to God When It Appears God is No Longer Holding On to You. Because we've talked about this the entire series. And if you need to get caught up, it's, it's on YouTube, it's on Facebook, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to, to any of these parts of this message. Um, but we all come into circumstances and situations in life where all of a sudden our circumstances and our situation cause us to doubt God. And sometimes it causes us to walk away from our faith. Because some of us, we grew up in church and we heard all these stories about David and Goliath, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, people being thrown in the lion's den and nothing bad happening to them. All they needed to have was faith and God got them through it. But then we grow up to be adults and life happens and things happen. And we go, well, hold on, wait a minute. I thought... And all of a sudden, our, our whole theology and belief system gets flipped on top of its head. And we wonder what in the world we did wrong. Sometimes we think, am I, is God angry at me? Like, am I being punished? Is this some kind of like spiritual karma? Like, what is this? What do I got to do to get back in favor with God? And there's all these questions and stuff. And so that's what we've been unpacking and trying to understand. But today for this last part, I want to tell you a story that illustrates what we do when, when all we get is... A no from God. We don't get what we're looking for. We don't get our prayer request answers. And it seems like God is blessing and answering everybody else's prayer requests. And to illustrate that, I want to tell you a story of my favorite Bible character. And I hate calling him a Bible character because it makes it seem like it's a fairy tale. But, but this person was a real person. Now, he doesn't just show up in the Bible, but even in Jewish history, um, people talked about him. And his name, you probably would know it when you hear it, is John the Baptizer. Or John the Baptist. Now, sometimes in the Bible, it can get really confusing because there's a lot of Johns, right? So you might, by mistake, pick up your New Testament and go, oh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospel of John. Must be the same John, not the same John, okay? A lot of different Johns. John the disciple, John who wrote the Gospels, and John who wrote 1 John uh, and, and other things, he, he, not the same John. This is John the baptizer, John actually the cousin of Jesus, so if you read the narrative of Jesus, you, you learn about Mary visiting somebody and them being pregnant with a baby. That was, and, and the baby leaping for joy. That was John. That was John the baptizer. And he's about the same age of Jesus, just a little bit older. And, and he comes onto the scene. And, and after all of the prophets of the Old Testament talk about Jesus and Jesus coming, John steps on the pages of the New Testament. He's the pre-show. He's the pre-game. He felt led for whatever reason. He wasn't asked or anything, but he steps on and he starts talking about the Savior coming, the Messiah coming, about the kingdom of God being near. And it, it was so compelling and it was so good that people actually believed that maybe John's the Messiah. Maybe he's the Savior. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I'm just preparing the way for the one who is to come. He said, I'm second. He, he must come first. And he had this great closing to his service. He invented this thing called baptism. And they hadn't had anything like this before. There were some ceremonial cleansings that they did in the past that show up in the Old Testament, but nothing like this. And so John, he starts going all over the place in in, in Jerusalem and Judea. And he he starts preaching about this one who is to come. And he's even got his own disciples. He's He's got his own crew that's following him around. And he's so popular. So many people are coming to him. And then eventually Jesus even shows up. And John gets the the, the pleasure, of uh, the honor of baptizing Jesus. And then Jesus' ministry takes off. And it's so, so weird, so crazy. This is why it's fascinating to me. And again, you have to kind of piece this together through the different gospels because each gospel has a little bit different of a piece of John's story. But John the baptizer, the cousin of Jesus, when Jesus begins his his ministry, he doesn't pick his cousin as one of the 12 to go with him. But you know who he does take? He takes some of John's disciples. He steals his crew. He goes, you guys, follow me. Let's go. And John goes, 
Okay, have fun. <laughs> you know? and, and, and so then from there on, what, what happens is just insane. But here's what I want you to understand before we jump into the story. You've got to understand, not only was this man the cousin of Jesus, not only was he the pregame of the Messiah, Jesus himself said he was the greatest person who he had ever known, who had ever lived. This is what Jesus himself says. Matthew wrote this down. It says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. You know what that means? John the Baptist was the original goat, okay? This guy in Jesus, this is Jesus' words, not mine. He is the greatest of all time. He is the greatest to ever do it. Which is why what happens next is so, so crazy. So, so John was a prophet. That means John said it like it was. If he saw something, he was black and white. He didn't mix words about it. Completely different than Jesus. And so there's something going on during this time. There, there's, there's a king, a ruler. His name is King Herod Antipas. Now, that name may sound familiar because you may know the name of his father, Herod the Great. When you open up the Gospels and you read Jesus' story, you know, during Jesus' birth, King Herod, he issued that every firstborn child be killed. That was his dad. He had several kids. So this is King Herod Antipas, not actually a king, but he, he was a ruler. He had land. He had some authority, but not a king by any stretch of the imagination. Well, King Herod Antipas, he, he did a weird thing. He had an affair and he married his brother's wife. But, but it's actually way worse than that. Because, see, this is the thing. Herod's brother's wife, Herodias, was his sister's daughter. First service went, ew, you guys have no response to that, okay? Um, so let me, let me break this down for you. He married his niece. Okay, there comes the ew. Okay, thank you. All right. I was about to, if you guys, I know it's 2024. I didn't know how woke you guys were for a minute, okay? He married his niece, all right? Very creepy, all right? All right, so he married his niece, and there was a whole thing there. So uh, even back then, okay, gross vibes, okay? You can't do this. Very Game of Thrones, not good, all right? So this was just, this was against everything, like Torah, you know, not good for culture. I mean, everything, everything was bad. So here's the thing. Every time John had a chance to take a shot, he took a shot. I mean, he would say it to Herod's face. You're a pervert. And so Herod, he actually loved to go and listen to John preach. Crazy, right? And so he goes and he listens to John preach. And John would see him and he would straight out call him out in front of hundreds of thousands of people and say, you're a pervert. And so this is what, this is what happened. Peter told it to Mark. Mark wrote it down. He said, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. You married your niece. Gross. And so what happened was, is Herodias started to get angry about it. It says this. It says, so Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. I bet. Right? I mean, John was making them look so stupid, so bad. And so she gets a grudge. But here's the thing. The crazy thing is, is John really liked, or Herod really liked John. And he recognized, too, how popular he was. I mean, Mark tells us this. Peter, Peter explained it. He says, but she was not able to do anything to him because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. He knew Herod wasn't stupid. John was so popular. Everybody knew John and everybody liked John. They're like, this guy is crazy. But boy, I love his show. He's doing down at the river, the whole baptism thing and people. Wow, this is great. And the truth is, too, is Herod... Herod liked them. It says in the very next verse, it says, When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. It's like many of you, right? You come to church, you come for the free coffee, and you listen to me. You don't agree with any of it, but you kind of like it. You know what I mean? You see what I'm saying? So this is what, this was what was going on. But, but eventually what happened was is she finally convinces Herod to do something about it. She kind of tricks him actually using other women and it's a whole Game of Thrones thing. Go read your Bible this week. It's really fun. But anyway, she tricks him and Herod does arrest John. But he's not stupid. 
He doesn't put them in prison in Jerusalem because the people would probably riot. And so he actually sticks him in a desert prison in the middle of the Jordan Valley outside. And this was a terrible, terrible conditions. I mean, when we think of prisons, you know, we think of prisons today. But this was the type of prison where there was no food. They, they, they didn't take care of you at all. They'd maybe let you outside for a little bit and then they'd throw you back in the hole. And you were kept alive by people visiting you and bringing you food or medicine or whatever you would actually need. And so many, the the disciples that did still associate with John, they would go and they would visit him and and basically keep him alive. And so he, he gets arrested. And then here's what happens next. As John, cousin John is arrested. Do you know what Jesus did? Well, it says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he, what do you think he did? I mean, what would you do? Your cousin Your cousin is in prison. Not only that, but he was your whole pre-show. I mean, he basically paved the way for you. He's earned a lot of street cred. And he's the goat, right? He's your favorite person who has ever lived. I mean, come on. I think we would all expect some kind of, you know, Vin Diesel, Fast and Furious, safe here or something. You know what I mean? Like for Jesus to like look at his disciples and be like, we don't leave family behind. You know, and like do something, you know. Or like send some angel armies. You know what I mean? Send some uh, angels down there like Marvel X-Men style and break them out. You know what I mean? I mean, at least a minimum, like bake them some special brownies full of the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? Like something. Give them something. Write them a letter. You know what Jesus does? This is crazy. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, and he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake. Here's what's insane. When John, cousin John, the goat, was arrested, do you know what Jesus did? He went on vacation. If we, liter- if we could see it on a map... There, there, was, there, was, there was Judea down here. And then Jesus went up as far north as he possibly could to the point where he went so far north he hit water. He couldn't have gone any further unless he went walking on the water. And Capernaum is amazing. Capernaum is a fishing village. It's beautiful. Jesus basically went to a resort. And he lived there. And he stayed there. Now, here's the thing. For, for me... This is how you know the Bible can be trusted. This is how you know the Bible can be true. Because here's the thing. I I, I know some of you may be, you know, I've got some conspiracy theories about the Bible and how it was put together. And I I watched a 30-second TikTok and I've listened to two podcasts. And I think I got this thing figured out, you know. And I have some conspiracy theories of how this was all put together and stuff. But but, but here's the thing. This, This is an old narrative trick. Do you know how they would know if things were true or not when historians and stuff would judge narratives and stories? Is if you made the hero look bad, it's probably true. And why in the world would Matthew write this down? I mean, if if there was some kind of conspiracy going on and I was Matthew and I was trying to put together some kind of like religious cult to like control people or something or whatever people think, I wouldn't tell this part of the story. I'd be like, yeah, John, John, John went into prison and uh, Jesus, he kept doing some really cool stuff. Let me tell you about all the cool things Jesus did and all the things Jesus will do for you. But that's not what he does. Matthew makes sure that we know the facts. That when John, cousin John, the goat was arrested, Jesus went to the lake. Do you know why Matthew included that in his gospel? Do you know why he made sure that was all written down? Number one, because it happened. But number two was for you. Because Matthew knew. In retrospective, when Matthew wrote this 10 years later, he knew why Jesus did what he did. Because he knew that there would be a time when people would be reading this. And they would feel that way too. They would feel just like John. Because, I mean, come on, do you you ever feel like God is a million miles away on vacation when you're going through a crisis? You ever feel like you're going through something? And it just seems like God is off on vacation, down at the lake, doing his own thing. See, the thing is, is I think Matthew knew that we would all feel that way. So he's like, well, this, this is how it went down and this is what happened. And so we've got to include this part too. This is important because there are going to be times where people are going to feel like God is a million miles away.
Exactly, he was. He was 200, 200 miles walking distance away from John. And guess what? He stayed there for a year. For a year, John is in prison. And in the midst of all this, John is in prison and his disciples are literally keeping him alive. No visit from his former disciples, Jesus' disciples. No visit from cousin John. No visit from any of Jesus' family or, or anything like that. And so he's sitting there in prison. And meanwhile, his disciples are coming to him and they're reporting everything that's been happening in the world. They're, they're basically his news and they're keeping him up to date. And guess what? They're telling him all of the things that cousin Jesus is doing for everybody else. The disciples, they're showing up at, at, at John's prison cell and they're going, hey, so here's your food and here's your paper and stuff. And man, I tell you, your, your cousin Jesus is just killing it out there. He is, he, he, he's doing amazing things. You know what he did the other day? The other day he was traveling along the road and he, he ran into a racist centurion, a racist soldier who was literally hired because he hated the Jews so much. And, and, and the empire, the Roman empire, they loved that because then they would really keep their thumb on those Jews. And that racist soldier went to Jesus and was like, Jesus, I have a servant at home who's sick. Could you please heal him? And, and that servant was like miles away, like a distance away. And Jesus goes, sure, it's done. And it's the craziest thing. Your cousin Jesus, he healed the servant of that racist soldier. And he didn't even have to go there. Did you know your cousin can work remotely? Like, I mean, it's amazing. He can heal anybody from anywhere. He can perform miracles from about any distance. How cool is that? And John's just going like, what? You know? Okay, so that's cool. Yeah. Why can't he do that for me? You know, like, why not me? Oh, he can perform miracles from a distance. Hello, I'm over here. Remember me? Remember what I did for you? Remember how I pre-gamed for you and I ushered in everybody? I invited everybody to you. And when you stole some of my boys, when you stole some of my friends, you took some of my disciples, I didn't say a word. And you invited all these other people to come and be with you and live with you and get to experience all this cool stuff. And I'm your cousin. You didn't even give me an invite. You said I couldn't come. And I haven't said, peep, I haven't said a word. And now here I'm sitting here and you've talked all about set the captives free. Well, guess what? I'm captive now. How about me? And all of a sudden, John starts to change. And we've all experienced this, right? When things are up and to the right, God is good. Praise God. Amen. Yes, I believe. But when things go down and to the left, then it's a different story, right? And what happened for him, it happened for us. The change of scenery rocked his serenity. And it's so hard, right? I mean, when we go through this stuff... We want, we want to be happy. I, I want to be happy for all the happy people. I really do. John was like, I, I hate feeling this way. I want to be happy for all the people. I'm so glad that's happening. I'm so glad that that servant was healed. But, but what about me? And you felt like that. Look, I want to be happy for all the other married people and all their success and everything that they got going on. But, but I'm going through this. Or if you're single, if you're single or you're divorced, you're going, man, I want to be happy for all the other people. I want to be all happy for all the people who are starting over and finding people and stuff. But I, here I am. Or I want to be happy for everybody else's kids. You know, everybody else puts stuff on, on Facebook about their kids and their kids are doing so great. And they're all, you know, hugging each other and their faces are all pressed against each other. And it's so hallmark and it's so great. And I think that's wonderful. But I'm going through something with my kid that, man, I just, oh, and I, I want to be happy for them. And here's the thing. We all come to places where sometimes what it feels like, and look, how you feel is always valid. And it shouldn't be hidden from God. As we've talked about in this series, he can take it. But it feels like sometimes God is coming through for everybody. But you. And if you've ever felt that way, or if you ever feel that way, I want you to know. Then you can feel that way too. And that's exactly where he got. To the point where he said, he told his disciples, 
You go to my cousin and you ask him this. He had one question for his cousin. So it says when John was in prison and heard the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him a question. And I'm telling you why. This question, you may have read this before, you may have not, but it may have just flown completely over your head. But I'm telling you, this is the most personal, most disrespectful thing that anybody ever said to Jesus. He sends his disciples and his disciples come and they say, hey, Jesus, we're here. We represent John. He has a question for you. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect somebody else? Let me translate that for you. Are you the Messiah or did I get it wrong? Hey, cousin, the one who loves, the one who's here to set the captives free. The one who is God on earth, who is from the Father, and the Son is like the Father, who's here to reveal to us all exactly what God is really like. Well, um, I'm starting to doubt that. I'm starting to second guess it. As a matter of fact, everything I did for you, everything I said beforehand about you, I'm, I'm starting to think maybe that's just something we tell kids as they grow up to keep them busy or to make them think a certain way. Because here I am, and I'm sitting in the middle of it, and I see and I hear everything you're doing for everybody else. And I'm just wondering, when are you going to come and be my Savior? Because I think I've earned it. And you've heard my prayers. And you know what I need. And I'm just wondering when you're going to actually do something about it. Man. (laughs) Imagine, remember, there's a crowd of people standing around Jesus. Disciples, former friends and associates of John. And you can just imagine they all put their head down. John's mad. John's about to lose his faith. And uh, we've never heard anybody speak to our rabbi like that. What's he going to say? What can he say? I mean, there's a lot on the line here and everybody's listening. Everybody's watching. And Jesus replies, he says, well, go back and report to John what you hear and see. And his disciples probably went, oh, we have. It doesn't go well. (laughs) We've we've done that. Um, He doesn't like that too much. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I want you to get real specific with him. Why don't you go back and tell him the blind are receiving their sight, the lame are walking, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. Again, you may have read that before and that completely flew over your head. But you know what Jesus is doing in that moment? Jesus in that moment is sending a clear message to John. He's saying, hey, John, let me tell you what's been going on. And don't forget, keep in mind, don't forget about the mission, John. You remember? Remember the whole reason we started this thing? What it was all about? The whole reason for me coming John, the disciple, would write about it later. For for God so loved the world that he sent his son for the lost. Jesus goes, you remember all that, John, cousin John? John the baptizer, the goat? You remember that that was our motivation? That's why we started this whole thing? Because we're here for the lost. How we leave the 99 for the one about how it's about the lost coin. Well, that's these people. And guess what? I'm out here and let me tell you, man. People are turning to God. People are following me. People are putting their faith in me. People are finding the kingdom. And remember what I promised you, John. Remember my promises are better than the promises that my father made to Abraham. Remember about my promise to you was about eternity and about eternal fellowship and eternal life. And you know where you're going, John, right? Your eternity is locked in because you've put your faith in me and you're following me. Well, these people, they don't have that yet. So I'm out here and I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm hitting the streets and I'm grinding and I'm here for the lost. And guess what, John? It's working. So don't forget that you didn't get into this for what you could get out of it. Remember the mission And I don't know about you, but for me as a pastor, gosh, that's so personal for me. Because I can't tell you how many times I have to remember it's not about me. It's about the mission. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've had to say no to me, to say yes to the mission, to say yes to you. Because you are what's important. You are the reason we do what we do. It's about the lost being found. John goes, careful. Or Jesus goes, careful, John. Careful. Remember what this is about. 
And so the disciples, they go, all right, we'll tell them. <laughs> they turn around and they leave. And they're on their way to tell John what Jesus said. And Jesus, he turns around again. Awkward moment. Disciples are standing there. There's a crowd. And Jesus pulls everybody in. And he says something out loud. He didn't have to say this. He could have just moved on. But he pulls everybody together and he says something loud enough for everybody to hear it. And you know what he said? He said this not just for their benefit. He said it for your benefit. He said it because he knew that you would need to hear this because all of us would be in a place eventually in our life where we felt just like John. And he knew what you would need to hear. What he says next. He says, blessed is anyone. And that word, if you don't know what that word means in the original Greek, it means happy or fulfilled. Full of joy are. Blessed, happy is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stop following me when I don't do what you think I should do. Blessed is anyone, fulfilled is anyone who does not leave or detach from their faith just because I am not faithful in the way that they think that I should be faithful. Blessed is the one who doesn't confuse my silence with absence. See, because here's, here's what Jesus knew. And this is difficult. But what Jesus knew is that, look, it, you're going to go through this. You're, you're going you're to develop this formula where you think you've figured me out, where you could forgive your way out of situations. And all you, you're going to think you figured out the hoops. They're like, oh, well, we can, we can kind of manipulate the system. All we got to do is do this and jump in here and do these things. And we can kind of control God. And if we do A, B, and Z, he has to do X, Y, and Z. And then he has to forgive us. And then our eternity is locked. But then we can also do whatever we want. And, all right. And Jesus Jesus goes, you're going to think you got me figured out and you're going to think you've got the formula down. And then guess what? You're going to figure out that you were wrong. And you're going, to, you're going to figure out that that's not the way I operate. And it's going to be frustrating. And you're going to feel how like John felt. And you're going to be very tempted to walk away from your faith and to give up on me. But Jesus knew what we all know. If you walk away from your faith and you let go of it, you're going to pick up something else to replace it. And sometimes that's all kinds of things. Sometimes that's substances. Sometimes that's feelings. Sometimes that's attitudes. Sometimes that's relationships. And Jesus said, look, if you put me down, you're just going to pick it up and try to fill it with something else. And that's not going to make your life better. That's going to make your life worse. Philip Yancey, he wrote a great book. I read it in college. So, such a good book. I highly recommend it. It's called Disappointment with God. <laughs> and he said this. He said, the only thing worse than disappointment with God is trying to navigate disappointment without God. Because even Philip knew. It can be hard having disappointment with God. But figuring out disappointment without God, that's, that's even harder. And Jesus says, happy, happy is the one who doesn't confuse my silence with my absence. And then he turns around to the, to the crowd because they think, are you mad at your cousin or like what? You know, and he has to clarify. And again, we just, we, we read this earlier, but this is where he says, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He's the goat. He's my cousin. He's the greatest man who ever lived. And I'm not going to go save him. And you know what that means? Do you know why Matthew wrote this down? Why we need to know this? And again, what I'm about to say, you may have never heard before. I have no clue your church context or what you grew up with or anything like this. But I hope you appreciate my honesty with you because I grew up in church and I get it. And there's just some things we've gotten confused and some things that I feel like we've kept a secret. But the reality of who Jesus is, and remember the son is like the father. The truth of the matter is, is that sometimes he may not rescue you. And that sucks. And that's hard. That's hard to wrap our head around. As a matter of fact, for some of you, you're like, this is the worst church service I have ever been to. Like, I know over at Journey Church, they're like slinging towels and like getting slain in the spirit right now. I'm going to go over there next week because this is just depressing. I get it. I understand. All right. But here's the thing. 
You need to know this because it's the truth. You need to know this because if you haven't been there already, you're going to be there in the future where you're going to feel like you're going through the valley and you're going to feel like God has abandoned you. But here's what I want you to know. He hasn't. He hasn't abandoned you. You thought you had God figured out. And it turns out he works differently than you thought. And that's what we've been talking about in the series. But, but, but here's the other thing. It, if that brings you down, you're like, well, then I, I don't know about this. Like, I, I, I joined this or I was interested in this because I thought there were some guarantees. I thought there was always a bow. I thought that if, if I did this, that God would always do this. I thought I could control the system and manipulate that if I did this, God had to do that. And if that's not true, then why? Why follow Jesus? Then what am I in it for? And gosh, man, one of the most raw, most truthful stories in the New Testament. I love this story. There was another time where Jesus, he he explained the reality of what the kingdom of God was like. And guess what? It was so different than their Jewish tradition, what they had heard and what they had grown up with. It actually broke a couple of them and they left Jesus. Can you imagine that? You're basically walking next to God and God explains what his kingdom is actually like. And they go, we're out. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. John wrote it down. He said, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him because of what Jesus had just shared. And Jesus turned to his disciples, the 12. And he says, you do not want to leave me. Go back. You got to let me read it. (laughs) You do not want to leave me too, do you? And I love this. This is so good. Jesus turns to the 12 and he goes, are you guys going to leave me too? I'm sure they all just put their head down. Because I bet they all wanted to. But maybe how you, you, you're like, we're not coming back here next week, right? They all put their head down. And then Peter, I love Peter. He just, he can't be quiet. He has to always talk. And his, his answer is so raw and so truthful. Again, this is how you know that the Bible can be trusted, that the, the, these words are true. Because Peter, what he says, is so honest and so real. Peter steps up and he says, Lord... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter steps up and goes, what else are we going to (laughs) do? And that's such a lame answer, right? Because if I asked you, if not Jesus, then who? If not Jesus, then what? And you're like, I guess I'm stuck with this then. But, but, But Peter goes, Lord, you're the only one that has the words of eternal life. And remember what we've talked about in this series. What God actually promises us through the Son. What is revealed about the Father through the Son. God, God never promised an easy life. God never promised that if you do A, B, and C, He would do X, Y, and Z. God never promised anything like that. But do you know what is promised to you? We talk about this all the time. This is the reason we feel like it's worth following Jesus. He promised to make your life better and make you better at life. Not by making your life easy. Not by answering silly prayer requests. Uh Uh-uh. Do you know what is promised to you through through the Son? What is promised to you is mercy and grace. We talked about this last week. Mercy. He weeps with you. In the same way, when his, his, one of his other favorite friends, Lazarus, went through what Lazarus went through, Jesus wept and Jesus weeps with you. When you go through stuff, when you feel like you're in the valley and you feel like Jesus is on vacation, millions of miles away, he is with you. And he weeps with you. And he's in pain with you. And he's there with you through it, even when you can't see him. And his grace, in this context, what we've talked about, strength to endure. He gives you the strength to keep going, to keep fighting, to keep going round after round after round. His promises are not that he's going to protect you from fights and that your life is going to be sunshine and rainbows. His promise is that he will give you such resilience and such endurance that you will be able to keep going no matter what you face in this life. No matter what you go through, you can persevere through it. And at the end of your life, what is promised to you that was not promised to anyone else, that's better than any promise you can find at Hobby Lobby or anywhere else, 
is eternal life and eternal fellowship. And Jesus says to John, 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 you know, you know my promises. And what I promised you, it's not about what's going to just happen in this life. It's about what happens after this life. And you know what is waiting for you. John, this short time on this earth is nothing compared to what I have prepared for you. Don't lose it. Don't walk away from it. Because the same thing that Jesus told John is the same thing he would tell you. Hey, when you go through tough stuff, when you feel like you're in the valley, no one can take away from you the promises I have given you. The promise of eternal life, the promise of eternal fellowship. No one can take that away from you except for you. The only person who can take this away from you is you, is if you disconnect from me, is if this moment, this circumstance, this situation causes you this to be an off-ramp for you and your faith journey, don't let that happen. Because my grace is sufficient for you. And my mercy is plenty for you. And I will be with you every step of the way. And I will help you get through this. And again, I've needed this. Every, the last three weeks have been something. We've had all kinds of situations in our church family. Good grief, it hasn't ended. There was somebody from our church who was 15 feet away from that shooter at the Kansas City Chiefs Parade incident. Somebody from our church was 15 feet away when those bullets started flying. I mean, my gosh, we've, we've dealt in our church with homicide, teen suicide, shootings, baby born 24 weeks premature. I mean, you name it. We got the craziest bingo card of anybody around here. But you know what? I've been amazed. I've been amazed as I've watched so many of you go through some terrible, painful situations where it'd be natural for anybody to look up and go, hello, God, what are you doing? But you've maintained your faith and you've relied on him. Yeah, you've let him know how you felt, but you've, you've leaned on him for mercy and for grace. And God's gotten you through it and God's made you better for it. I don't know what you're up against and I don't know what you're going through or what you will go through, but I want you to know I'm here for it. I'm here for you. And God is not distant from you. God is right there with it. And he, he may not rescue you from it. And I don't know why he chooses to sometimes, or I don't know why he doesn't. That's beyond my understanding. And I'm not going to pretend like I have all the answers, but let me tell you, because I've experienced it in my own life. He's with you. And nobody can take his promises away from you. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, as we come to you this morning, God, some of us right now, we need some of that mercy and we need some of that grace. We, we need to know that you are near to us, that you weep with us, that you have us. We need you to be our firm foundation to keep us propped up. And God, that may be something we need today. It may be something we need tomorrow. But God, we rely on you. We turn to you. We ask you to be with us, to walk us through it. Father God, I pray that every single one of us would be able to have the same courage as John. As John held on in that prison as he kept his faith. God, I, I pray that you would help every single one of us do the same, Lord. Would you help us to not turn away from you, to use this as an off-ramp, to leave our faith, but would it cause us to love you even deeper because what you did, what you orchestrated with John, it was for us so that we would know something about you. So God, we love you this morning. We thank you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. We're going to sing one last song together. And it's, it's such an honest, honest Song, You know, worship songs, again, sometimes they're all about just the, when it's up to the right. <laughs> but this song is not like that. I mean, this song literally says, when it hurts like hell. Because you know what? Sometimes it does. And so for, I don't know, for you this morning, 
Maybe, maybe this can help you connect some of the dots. Maybe this is, you know, you don't know what you would tell God if God was in front of you, but maybe for you, this, this explains it really clear. Maybe for you, this is the prayer that you want to pray. Like, yeah, God, this is what I've been wanting to tell you. I just didn't have the words. But I hope that this morning, that through, no matter what you go through, that he helps you get through it and you feel like he is near. Would you stand with us this morning as we sing one last song?